Open your Bibles to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, this is the text we're going to be looking at today. Galatians 5, chapters, uh, verses 16 to 25. We're continuing our series, Going Deep. We're continuing our series about life transformation. We're continuing our series about what it means to live our lives rightly related to this Holy Spirit of God. In the last two weeks, we talked about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And today and next week, we'll talk about what it means to walk according to the Spirit. This theme that we've sort of hovered around for the last several weeks, but we're going to begin to really dig in. Galatians 5, verse 16. Follow along with me. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is God's Word. We've been saying... That the three anchors in terms of understanding our relationship with the Holy Spirit are these. Number one, the Christian life isn't just difficult, it's impossible. Number two, because the Christian life is impossible, we need a helper. Some of us think that the Christian life is about doing our best. Let me ask you a question. If the Christian life was really about doing our best, why would God need to send the Holy Spirit to live inside of us? Doing our best is just our best. God knows when we've done our best. Why complicate matters by sending somebody who we don't need if it's all about doing our best? But what the scripture says is clear. God was looking for more than just our best, right? So he sends the Holy Spirit in us to do this. Third, the Christian life as God intended is only possible when Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, lives for us, this Christian life for us. Jesus Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, this divine resident of the Christian's heart, lives inside of us to empower us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to speak to us, to guide us, to lead us, to live the Christian life. How do you deal with temptation? Jesus Christ says he was tempted in every way that you and I were yet without sin. He lives inside of us. The person who was tempted in every way and without, without sin is lives inside of us. And when we are tempted by sin, the Bible says, why not acknowledge and appropriate this person, the son of God who was tempted in every way and yet was without sin, who lives inside of you to help you overcome temptation? John 14, my peace I give unto you, the Bible says. My peace I give unto you. Philippians 3, the Bible also says, Paul says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You and I don't understand what that verse says. You know why? Because the Bible is saying it's not just peace from God that he gives unto us. The Bible says that the very peace that God himself has the very serenity that characterizes God himself. The kind of peace that you have when you're the Alpha and the Omega and you know the beginning and end of history. That peace that God himself has, the Bible says, that I give unto you. Anybody anxious? Because you don't know the future? The Bible says that God gives you peace, not just from him, the very peace that God has. That peace is available you it's that peace that carried jesus as he's hanging on the cross it's that peace that carried him when his closest friend abandoned him in the darkest hour it's that peace that characterized him as he was going through a mock trial on trumped up charges it's that peace that he had when he's crucifying on the cross that peace god says is available to you and me 
That's the kind of impossible Christian life that Jesus Christ says he is able to enable us to live. Now, for the rest of the New Testament, the Bible doesn't talk about us being filled. It describes our relationship as one of being led or walking according to the Spirit. So this weekend, next week, in Galatians 5, we're going to talk about what it means to walk according to the Spirit and the ramifications of that. Um, Paul talks like this all throughout the New Testament in his letters. After, By the way, after Ephesians 5, you don't find any more references to being filled with the Spirit, but you find references like this. Colossians chapter 2, where it says, As you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so now walk in Him. Uh, Noah is a year and like three months old. He started walking about three months ago. One of the things about little kids when they're learning to walk is that they're incredibly resilient. You know what I mean? In other words, when they fall down, they don't go, oh, what an idiot. I don't deserve to walk for the rest of the day. I'm such an idiot. He doesn't think that. He falls, he stumbles. What does he do? He gets a big grin on his face. He gets up. He is not paralyzed by judgment. Walking according to the Spirit is the same way. It's going to be a trial and error experience. And when you fall, you don't need to go, what an oaf I am. I don't deserve to walk for the No, you say, this is going to take some time. And just as, my, just as Noah extends grace to himself and says, you'll get it someday. You and I need to, is that good news? Amen? Okay, so what does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? Galatians 5, here we go. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Let's read this definition together, okay? And you guys have heard me say this over and over again. So with conviction and with emphasis. Here we go. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate our entire being. Walking according to the Spirit has a very personal, relational nature to it. It's about being led by the Spirit. And this very personal, relational nature has to it, it has to it characteristics dependency, sensitivity, cooperation, same goals. When somebody is following somebody else and being led, there has to be trust, even to the point of dependency. It's kind of like this. You ever walked into a building? And you need to get to some room, but it's like a maze inside that building, and a maze, a maze, a maze inside that building. And it's very frightening and a little bit frustrating when somebody, when you go, how do I get to room 40C? And the guy says, here's what you want to do. Take the elevator, go to the 10th floor, then take a right. At the exit sign, go take another left, go about 50 yards, and then take another left. Do a 360, go the other way. You sit there going, and then, oh, oh. Or somebody says, oh, let me show you. Come on. Follow. Okay, now what? Should I marry her? Should I marry him? Come on, follow. Okay, now I'm at this cross. What do I do? Okay, let's take a left here. Let's take a left here. Wow, you're a pretty good leader. I know, I know. You like lead at a really good pace. I know, I know. You're like really sensitive to my emotions and the circumstances. I know, I know. Well, pause right here, pause right here. I want to do something in here, right? Okay. How much more encouraging is that than somebody going directions, directions, directions? The Holy Spirit, that's how he wants to lead you and me. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us and says, follow, be close, be near, relationship, relationship. Walking according to the Spirit, you guys, is starting my day and continuing my day, sensitive to, it's a relationship, dependent upon, it's a relationship. Check this out, inner promptings. How many of you know of the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit in such a way, check this out, that his enablement and his empowerment, that is, when you come against tomorrow, that temptation, those emotions, that anger, that bitterness, when you come against that, here's what you do. You pause, you pause. He's leading, remember. You pause and you say, Lord, I don't have what it takes to overcome that temptation, but you did, and you live inside of me. Lord, I don't have what it takes to deal with this anger issue because I'm like all over the place emotionally right now, but you can so I acknowledge my inability for your ability. Check this out. And when you pause, do that. Holy Spirit fills that space. Holy Spirit fills that space. This is the reason why people who are following the Spirit and walking according to the Spirit 
activates his faith before his will. In a profound way, you believe before you behave. And somebody go, well, do I have time to do that? Can I ask you a question? Do you already know the kinds of temptations and emotions that's facing you tomorrow at work? Most of us are not caught off surprise by surprise. We know what those are. We know what corner they're around. We know exactly when they're going to be throughout the day. We know it. So instead of waiting until we're sick in the middle of it, the Bible says, why not pause, give the Holy Spirit space and go, Holy Spirit, I can't do that. But you can't, so fill that space. I don't know how to handle that, but you do. So fill that space. And when you do, acknowledge and trust the Holy Spirit fills that. Is that good news? Is that good news? That's wonderful news. Remember, learning how to walk, it's going to entail failures. But as you learn how to walk, this aspect of, oh, I can't do that. Pause. Holy Spirit, I need you to help me to do this. He comes and he fills that space. And then you do what you need to do and trust that he'll fill the gap. Holy Spirit, I can't handle this. I'm not even going to try. Respond through me. Give me your perspective on all this. I trust you to do for me what I cannot on my own. I trust you to produce in me peace. I trust you to produce in me self-control. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Then Paul goes on and he says, and he says, walk by the Spirit, and then he gives a promise. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Church, I've been saying this like a thousand times. I'm just going to say it for the last time and then move on. The goal of the Christian life is not try not to sin. How many of us are functioning in our Christian life from that perspective? Try not to sin. Anybody? That was me, majority of my Christian life. Try not to sin. The goal of the Christian life is not try not to sin, try to avoid these things, avoid the, the goal of the Christian life is to learn to do this one thing, which is learn to walk according to the Spirit. That is the aim of the Christian life. And the Bible says, as you learn to do that, certain sins will lose its power. Certain things that fascinate you will no longer fascinate you. As you learn to walk according to the Spirit, that invitation will come, just like it always has. And you'll find yourself saying, no thanks. As you learn to walk according to the Spirit, you'll walk away from that heated argument and realize, I didn't lose my temper. As you learn to walk according to the Spirit, you'll finish another round with your kids and realize you didn't lose your patience. The aim and the goal of the Christian life is not try not to do all of these things. The aim is learn to do this one thing. Walk according to the Spirit and you will not, promise, gratify the desires of the flesh. And then Paul goes on and he says, For the flesh sets itself desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Choose sustainable spiritual growth. Choose sustainable spiritual growth. Happens when you find yourself wanting to do what you should do. Should is an important word for spiritual growth. But should is never enough to carry you towards obedience. Should is an important word for spiritual growth, but God's plan is not for you and I just to obey him because we should, but we obey him because we want to. No relationship. I don't care what relationship it is. will ever last if it's purely based on should. Those of you that are married, go, go home today and, and say to your wife, do you know why I love you? Why? Because I should. <laughs> See what they say. See what they say. I'm serious. Try it try it. I did it once to Jenny just to try this out. And it didn't go very well. No relationship will ever last. Look, I was supposed to go see my dentist a year and a half ago. No relationship will ever last if it's purely based on should. What makes you and me think our relationship with God will last because it's based on I should even though I don't want to? 
True spiritual growth means that the shoots in our lives ultimately translate into God. I want to. I desire to. They appeal to me. They make sense. Is that happening to you? Is that happening to you? Is that happening to me in our hearts, in our lives? Uh, I I thought about this this week because this is something I struggled with for a while. Some of us actually think that if we want to be spiritual, I have to avoid sin. And the best way to avoid sin is just do away with desire altogether. Anybody? Anybody? Say yes if this is you. Yeah, we think that. You know what that is? It's called Buddhism and elements of Eastern religion where the height of spirituality is to do away with desire altogether. Where do we get this stuff from? It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. We think if I just didn't want sex, if I just didn't want money, if I just didn't want success, if I just didn't want these things, then I would really be spiritual and I would really not sin. Yeah, but you would also not be a human being. A slab of cement doesn't ever have to worry about growing weeds, but it's never, ever going to become a garden. Do away with desire altogether. Is that some of you and me today? You're sitting there going, the height of spirituality will be, if I can just, if I can just do away with desire altogether, then I'll be able to overcome my temptation. Let me say this. Our desires, yes, because they're fallen, need to be purified, and we need to say no to desires that destroy we must always settle for, for, we must always be ready to sacrifice a lesser desire for the sake of living a greater life. But the problem isn't desire. It's hard for me to meet people these days with actually passion for something. It's hard for me to meet people these days with an actual passion for something. The answer is not, I need to do it with passion altogether. The answer is, when are we going to see followers of Jesus who have channeled the passions for all these other empty and vain things and passion for Jesus and passion for his cause? When are we going to see followers of Jesus not trying to overcome temptation by saying, if I can just not desire things. God gave you desire. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you desires of your heart. And we channel that passion to say, the desires that I have for destructive things, I want to redirect them for Jesus and his cause. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see people more passionately in love with Jesus and more passionately living out for his cause. Amen? Don't wait for elimination of this. Some of you, you would make an amazing Christian because you are red-hot passionate about everything. The Bible says redirecting that to an all-consuming passion for Jesus is the life that God has for us. Hmm. C.S. Lewis said this, right? problem isn't that our desires are too strong. He said, our desires are too weak. We are content to play in the mud pies while what's waiting for us is a holiday at the seas. Our desires are not strong enough. Our desires are too weak. Jesus says, we direct the passions and the desires that you have for me and watch what I can do. Are you familiar with this Psalm, Psalm 42? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. How many of y'all sang this growing up? As the deer panted for the water, so my soul long. You know what we think this means? Most of us think, we think this means we should long for God more, right? We should long for, like we should enjoy church service more. We should, that's not what this means. You know what this literally means? This literally is telling us, this psalm is so much greater than that. This psalm is literally telling us that God is a life giver and therefore my desire cannot, for life cannot be satisfied apart from God. This is not a picture of Bambi. This is not a picture of Bambi wandering through leafy green stream-laden forest with a slightly parched throat. Think of the context. This is desert country. There are no rivers, just wadi, gully that would contain water only in the rainy season. Now the wadi are all dried up and the deer is going to die if it doesn't get water soon. And the Bible saying, that is us. 
We were made, the Bible says, for soul satisfaction, and we simply die without it. If you want life, this psalm is saying, you want God. You want him the way a deer dying for thirst with water wants water. You want God more than you know. That's why Jesus comes along and he says, therefore, whoever is thirsty, let him come to what? Me and drink. This is the kind of passion the scripture says over and over again God desires from us. And then Paul goes on. As if to make this point even stronger, Paul says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. This verse literally means, but if you are willingly led by the Spirit, that is, we don't just grudgingly obey, but we desire to obey out of love. I delight to do your will, the psalmist says, oh my God, your law is written on my heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting there going, that is the picture that I want of the deer panting for the water. And the Bible says, don't feel guilty if you don't desire God like that. The Bible says, ask the Holy Spirit because he gives you the want to. He gives you the want to. If you're longing for the want to, the Bible says, don't try hard to rededicate. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's work is to give you the want to. Why is that important? Because Paul talks about something here that you and I do all the time. He says, you can obey the law, the Bible is verse 18, and still be under the law. Let me say that again. You and I could be doing the right things and still be under the law. What do I mean? It's motivation. Why are we doing it? Is it faith or is it works righteousness? Here's an example of obeying the law, being a good rule-keeping person, and yet still being under the law. Why do we obey? Because I don't want God to punish me. Because I don't want God to not favor me because I don't want God to withhold blessing from me because I don't want to be a bad Christian because I might be embarrassed tomorrow morning. All those motivations ultimately is about fear, consequences of punishment, ultimately very self-centered and selfish because all about me. And the Bible says, if you're not walking according to the spirit, your entire motivation for living an obedient life is self-centered. It's all about you. And the Bible says, God wants you to deliver from that dynamic of, I'm obeying because I... Obeying while still being under the law. The Bible says the reason for motivation is, he did that for me? He paid this cost for me? He displayed his love like that for me? How could I not obey him? How could I not delight to do his will? That is the fundamental motivation for a Christian. I spoke at North Park University this Wednesday. Had a great time with the students talking afterwards. And we're talking about why Christians take advantage of grace. In other words, Christians who don't behave like Christians and do whatever the heck they want to. Here's what I said to the students. I said, if you're the type of Christian who says, God loves me unconditionally so I can do whatever the heck I want to, then you have never understood grace. Anyone for whom grace has snapped in their heart and their soul Looks at their sin and doesn't go, well, God will love me anyway, but looks at their sin and go, why would I do that when he has done that for me? Why would I do that when the one who has done that for me says he will never leave me nor forsake me? Can I ask you something? Has that happened in your soul? Is that the fundamental motivation for obeying? It happened again this week. I was driving. I saw a cop. Right behind me. Right behind me. Guess what I did? I slowed down. Made sure both hands were on my wheels. Made sure my seatbelt was right where it needed to be. Can I ask you something? Why? Did I all of a sudden have a change of heart? Did I all of a sudden go, you need to be a better driver? Because you need to be a good citizen, Peter. You want to be a good model, an example to your son who was sitting in the back seat. No, that's not why I did it. Why? Why did I do it? Out of fear. I don't want a ticket. I don't want that little life flashing behind me. What is the Bible saying? Paul was saying here, because that's you and I. He says God doesn't want forced compliance. God doesn't want you and I to obey out of forced compliance. Because we're afraid that some heavenly cosmic cop is going to come and give us a ticket when we disobey. Paul's talking about that dynamic right here. He's saying, 
God is so immense. Can I, let me just share this to you, and this may be like, whoa, to some of us. But God is so immense that I think sometimes if God were made too visible, he knows that we would give forced compliance without an actual change in our hearts. So sometimes I think God makes it possible for us to live as if he is not near. Sometimes I think God makes it possible for us to feel as if he's not really present. Which is the reason why you and I are sort of schizophrenic spiritually. Because we go about our days all the time without an awareness of his presence. Remember the thumb game I told you about? You're sitting there going, let's play the thumb game. The last person to bing is going to be the one to pray. And the whole time we're going, do, 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 do. And then the person who, oh, man, I got to pray for a meal. All right. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good and great. The reason why we don't sense his presence, think about it. What if it's because if God were to make his presence too visible, you and I would give forced compliance with ever changing our hearts. Paul says, God is way more concerned about the change of your heart. And he is about forced compliance, which is religion. Then Paul gives the result list, a vivid picture of what happens when either you walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit. Verse 19, here we go. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are. And here's a definition of walking according to the flesh. For those of you for whom this is new, this may be very helpful on why we're talking about what we're talking about. Let's say this together, you guys. Ready? Here we go. Walking according to the flesh is trusting in my strength and my determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. Retaining control over my life. Giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. And Paul says... When we operate our lives according to that, this is the result. And it's not a pretty picture. Verse 19, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I talked about this a little bit ago. We're going to look at the list a little bit more carefully. Two weeks ago, I talked about what, one, of the, one of the results or fruit or deeds of walking in the flesh is sorcery, right? Sorcery. Some of NIV says witchcraft. And many of you are going, I'm not a witch. I'm not guilty of sorcery. What is sorcery? It's simply trying to manipulate the supernatural for our own selfish interests. That's what sorcery is. Trying to manipulate the supernatural for our own selfish interests. That is what we're doing when some of us date a non-Christian. We go, you know, I'm going to pray for him or her because I just know that God's going to answer this prayer because he wants all men to be saved. That's manipulating God. It's presuming on God. Or some of us, we made some decisions in our lives. <laughs> And I cringe when Christians say this. I'm just going to step out on faith and trust God. Anybody? I'm just going to step out in faith and trust God. Because you know what I'm talking about? People say that. What does it really mean? Here's what it really means. I came up with this idea. It's not really well researched. It defies common sense. defies wisdom. I've asked nobody about it. It probably won't work. But you know, I'm just going to step out in faith and trust God. And when it doesn't work out, we're really angry at God going, God! And God's up there going, that wasn't even my idea. Why y'all blaming me for something that wasn't even my idea? We do that. We do this. We walk according to the flesh. We make... How many of us have done this with relationships? How many of us have done this with, with critical decisions about jobs? How many of us have done this about things in our lives? Where we, it's not walking according to the Spirit and following Him, but it's doing what comes naturally easy or, furthermore, my own selfish ambition things. And when it doesn't work, and God's up there going, don't manipulate. I'm not a genie in a lamp that you rub to have your wishes come true. Don't play me. The other way that I see this worked out again and again is when I hear Christians talk a lot about, some of you guys maybe came from this background, activating or tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And those are the very same people that talk very little about the Holy Spirit as related to personal holiness. Anybody? They talk about tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to harness the power of the Holy Spirit. And you go, what about character? Amen? What about holiness? What about Christ-like attributes displayed in the way you live? And the Bible clearly says over and over again, The Holy Spirit is not to be treated like an errand boy. He is holy God. He's not a vending machine. People who are always looking to harness the Holy Spirit are confused. He's not available to do our bidding. The Holy Spirit is constantly looking for people to do his bidding. You know what some of us need to do? We need to go home today and we need to say this prayer all this week. God, instead of telling you what I want, I just want to tell you, you're all that I need. Get up tomorrow and go, this is a way of walking according to the Spirit. God, instead of telling you all the list of things that I want for today, I'm telling you what I, I'm telling you all that I need. Two questions on whether you're actually doing sorcery or witchcraft. One, am I willing to obey whatever God says about this life area, no matter how I feel about it? Ask yourself, am I willing to do whatever God says about this life area, no matter how I feel about it? Question two, am I willing to thank God for whatever happens in this life area, whether I understand it or not? Am I willing to thank God for whatever happens in this area, whether I understand it or not? It's not the same as to believe that God is happy to send tragedy, but it is to believe that God in his overall purposes for your life is always acting wisely and redemptively. Am I willing to thank God for whatever happens in this life area, whether I understand it or not? If there's some of you sitting here this morning and you've been disappointed with God, I want you to ask a question. Is your approach to life one of God? Here are my plans for my life. Here are the agendas that I would like fulfilled. Sign off on these. Thank you very much. Or is your approach to life one of God? Empty-handed. I'm not telling you stuff that I want. I'm telling you all that I. I'm telling you all that I need. Empty-handed, God. What would you have me do? What would you have me do, God? No agenda. No, my priorities, God. I simply come to you. Lead me, Spirit of God, and I will follow. Lead me, Spirit of God, and I will follow. Lead me, Spirit of God, and I will follow. Are you willing to do whatever God says in that area? I want you to take a look at this list. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. According to the message version, Eugene Peterson this is, what, this is how he describes the fruit or the deeds of the flesh. He says, this is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental, emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper. An impotence to be loved or to be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Got to ask, does that describe any of us? Byron, why are you grinning from ear to ear? What's that? You identify anybody? You know what? Every single one of us, I'd identify with this. Do you know why? Because every single one of us have been there, done that, and here's the case, capable of that. Do you know why? The Bible says that the entire life of human being, Christian or not, you have two approaches to life. One is walking according to the flesh. The other is walking according to the spirit. Now, to put this in an analogy that maybe 21st century I was going to understand, I came up with this. You ready? Let's think of them as operating systems. Okay? Well, 
See, I feel, I feel like a dork now. I feel like a dork now because I thought this was brilliant. All of you got to be like, oh, I totally. I, please. That's like cheap, meaningless, like self-pity, you know. Here's, you have two approaches to life. Two approaches to life. One is the flesh operating system. We'll call that PC, okay? And you have... If y'all had to guess, does Peter use Mac or does he use PC? You guys probably be able to guess, right? Because I'm superficial. Okay, you guys can totally tell, right? And we'll say the spirit operating system is the Mac. Okay, anyway. So, the Bible is saying this. Every single day, you and I have a choice. Flesh operating system, spirit operating system. Flesh operating system, this is how it works. Verse 17, Galatians 5. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. I need you to, I need you to look up here because you need to see this picture. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. Here's how the flesh operating system works, okay? The flesh operating system, every single day, you and I do this. It creates these passions and these desires, okay? The word desire in Galatians 5 is literally the word for lust. I love saying that word lust. And it doesn't mean evil desire. Like you and I think some sexual thing. Lust literally means, listen, over-desire. Inordinate desire. All-consuming desire. And here's what the flesh operating system does. It takes perfectly good things like relationship, money, success, career, marriage, and it sucks it into the center and grows an inordinate overdrive desire and you say to yourself, I have to have that to have meaning in life. If I have it, I can look at myself in the mirror. If I don't, I'm worthless. So, let me give you examples. Human approval. Human opinion, in and of themselves, not bad. Being thought well of, having a good name is important. Having a good reputation is important. Having the approval of people that matter to you is important. But here's what the flesh operating system does. It takes human approval and it goes, and it sucks that into the center of you being. And all of a sudden, what happens? Perfectly good thing. And it creates over-desire, inordinate desire. All of a sudden, it says to you, you have to have their approval. You have to have his approval or else you're nothing. Flesh operating system. And what does it do? It drives you into the ground. It drives you into the ground. And all of a sudden, people-pleasing becomes the all-consuming thing for you. And when somebody doesn't like you, it's not just disappointing. It's devastating. Why? The flesh-out-brain system takes that thing that's perfectly okay, sucks it in the center of your being, and all of a sudden says, if you don't have that, you're worthless. Career. Success. Perfectly good in themselves. What does the flesh operating system do? It sucks set into the center of your being. And you begin to say, unless I am successful, I'm nothing. What do you get? Workaholism. Why do you work the hours you do? Who tells you to? Why do you have that job? Is it really your boss? Or is it because you're saying to yourself, if I don't succeed in this, if I don't have this job, then my life is meaningless. Or, you begin to compromise ethics and values. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're going, how did I become that guy? How did I become that person that's willing to sacrifice my family, my marriage, my convictions to get ahead? How did I become that guy that's lying? How did I become that woman that's lying and stepping on people to get ahead? How did I become that person? Why? Flesh operating system takes a perfectly okay thing in itself. It sucks it into the... Parents, children, 
children. Having children is okay. Having children is a blessing from God. But what do you do? Flesh operating system. It takes children and it sucks them into the center of your being. And all of a sudden, you say to yourself, if my children are successful, if they're not happy, then I am nothing. I'm worthless. My life is meaningless. And what do you do? You will crush your children under your expectations for their success and or they're going to crush you because their failures is unbearable to you. Can I ask you something? How many of you are children who've been on the receiving end of this from your parents? Can I tell you something? Most of the Asians went up, hands went up. Don't be so hard on your parents. You know why? All they're doing is the same thing you're doing, except it's not children, but something else for you, like relationship. Relationship. Perfectly good in itself. It's great to date. It's great to be in a relationship. But flesh operating system takes a thing, sucks it into the center of your being, and all of a sudden, what do you do? You go, that relationship is what makes me important. That relationship is what makes me significant. That relationship is what I need to have to have meaning in life. That relationship. And what do you do? You put your entire soul's desire for satisfaction in that. Just like those bridges that say no more than two tons. Because anything heavier than two tons will collapse that entire thing. If your desire for soul satisfaction is dependent on that marriage or that relationship, it will collapse because nothing We'll be able to bear the weight of it. Flesh operating system. Or, can I give you my example? Pastoring. Something happened earlier in the service, before the service, that I'm totally embarrassed, but I'm going to share with you guys. And I'll tell you how this is at work in me. The flesh operating system in my life is pastoring, preaching, teaching. Even though I'm not, see, I've, I'm going to sound like a, I'm going to sound like a dumb, you know what, saying this, but I, I'm going to share with you guys. See, so when the service goes well, I walk out, I go, good job. They'll come back next week. That was a good sermon. That's a good way to end the service, Peter. Boy, you're a really good pastor. Don't you feel good about yourself? Or if it doesn't go well, I walk out, I go, I'm such a bum. I'm such a loser. How would anybody want to respect me as a pastor? So today, before y'all showed up, the worship team was practicing a song, right, that I was supposed to end with, and I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it, right? And so I did an idiotic, crass, stupid thing. I just blurted out what I was thinking in my head, like, I'm not feeling that. And the worship team was up here rehearsing. And a couple of them had this shocked look on their faces, and they looked down and go, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. Do you know why I did that? Do you, know, do you know I was uncaring, careless, insensitive? Do you know why I did that? Besides the fact that I'm a big S-O, you'll finish this, the final letter. Do you know why I did that? Do you know why I did that? Sit down inside my flesh operating system, gets a hold of pastoring, preaching, teaching. And it causes me to go ordinate, inordinate desire, over desire, unless I, and I treat people like crap. I did that today. I did that today before the service. So I had to go to Carlton and apologize to him. The Holy Spirit, I'm sitting there going, you're such an idiot, Peter. Before you preach that, you apologize to Carlton. You apologize to the worship team. Because that was solely about you being self-centered and selfish. It's about your identity, your self-centeredness. You didn't think about other people. I'm utterly, totally embarrassed to share this with you, but I'm telling you, this is what the flesh operating system does. Do you see this at work in your life? Anybody? Am I talking to a wall? Anybody? Do you see this at work in your life? Do you see how it's under every out-of-control emotions you have? Do you see why it causes dissensions? Do you see why it causes anger? Do you see why it causes you to do things that you're like, where the heck did that come from? Flesh operating system takes perfectly good thing in of itself, sucks into the center of your being, and you say, I have to have that. Now you go, why does that happen? And how do we overcome it? Before we talk about what it means to walk according to the Spirit, we've got to talk about this. What, why does it happen? Because Genesis 3. There was a moment in time where you and I lived in fellowship with God where we were totally accepted, totally affirmed, totally known. 
And we enjoy the secure, without insecurity, fear, fellowship with God. And we decide, God, I know better than you how this is going to go. And when we removed ourselves from under God's rule and reign, all of a sudden, fear, insecurity, nakedness, sense of meaninglessness. And all of a sudden, we got to cover up with fig leaves and go, this is how I'm significant. Functional saviors. So all of a sudden, from Genesis 3, we reach and grab for things that are perfectly fine in themselves. And we go, that's my functional savior. That's my functional savior. That's my functional savior. And the flesh operating system gets a thing sucks it into the center. We go, if I have that, I'm okay. I can look at myself in the mirror. But if I don't, I'm nothing. This is happening every day, every second, every moment of your life. Do you see that? How do we overcome it? Carlton, almost done here. How do you deal with the flesh operating system? One, recognize that both approaches are there at all times. If you're sitting there going, I don't walk according to the flesh. That sounds like deviant sexual thing on the corner. Flesh operating system. Walking according to the flesh is taking something good like preaching, pastoring, pure in and of itself and sucking that into the center. And you and I, every single day, from the moment we wake up and are conscious, we have a decision to go, I'm going to walk according to the flesh. I'm going to walk according to the spirit. Two. Not only recognize that both approaches are at work, but admit the ways in which the flesh operating system is at work in your life. Your fears, your worries, your anxieties are good indicators of whether you're walking in the flesh. Let me ask, how anxious are you? How fearful are you? How agitated are you? How embittered are you? How anxious, worried, fearful are you? Underneath all of that is the flesh operating system taking something and saying, I have to have that. If I don't, I'm nothing. It's under everything that you're doing. How do you overcome it? Three. <laughs> what am I going to end with? Say it with me, church. Duh. Say it with me. Duh. Gospel. Of course. Allow the gospel to remind you that you belong. That you belong. Nathan, I thought about you all week this week because of this. Galatians 5, 24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. The Bible says it is when you know that you belong, will you be able to crucify the flesh. It is when you know that you already belong, will you be able to not operate according to the flesh operating system. Now here's the thing. Christians, good moral people, this is what you're going to go. You're going to go. You're going to flip that and you're going to go. It's because I crucify the sinful nature. It's because I obey. It's because I'm moral. It's because I do these things. Then I will belong. Result, legalism, self-righteousness, guilt. Bible says, don't switch it around. It is because you know that you already belong. And degree to which you know that you belong. Are you hearing me? It's the degree to which you know that you belong. The nakedness that you feel going, I need functional saviors. The Bible says you have that in Christ Jesus. The word belong is covenantal. It's first found in Exodus where God says, now I will be your God and you will be my people. You belong to me and I belong to you. It's only when the truth of that is buried deep in our souls and it's infiltrating to the bottom and the core of our hearts. It's when you and I know I am fully accepted. It's when you and I know I fully belong. It's when you and I know the only verdict that matters has been given. Creator God says, you are acceptable to me because of Jesus that acceptance and the sense of belonging and the truth of that coming into our hearts is the only thing that will enable you and I to go, I'm not going to walk according to the flesh. Walk according to the spirit. You belong. So tomorrow, some of you got to get up. You're going to have projects to do. Your flesh operating system is going to kick in and go, why do I want to do that project? Because I want to do well. If I don't do well, people are going to think I'm stupid. People are going to think I'm not very competent. Those people are going to think I'm dumb. I want to be able to move on. You could do that. Flesh operating system. Or you can say, I belong. God has given me these talents and abilities. And I want to glorify him and enrich the world around me by the things that he has given me. And I rest in that. Or love. 
You can say, if they don't love me, I'm nothing. If they don't love me, I'm me. Or you can say, I have all the love that I ever need in Christ Jesus and in His acceptance of me. I don't need their affection. I have that in Christ. And I'm going to free it up to say, you, I love you unconditionally. You, not to meet some longing in my heart because I don't feel whole. I have that in Christ. And I can serve you for you, not what I want from you. Flesh operating system. Before we talk about walking according to the Spirit, or the Spirit operating system. You see how it's working in your life? Do you see how it's causing the anger? Here's what I want to do this morning as we end. How many of the Holy Spirit? How many of you already know what the flesh operating system has taken a hold of right now and is sucked into your heart and it said, that is what gives me meaning. I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you as you pray for me. Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is bringing to to your heart and to your mind how the flesh operating system is at work in your heart, and that thing, that thing that 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 the flesh operating system has sucked into the center of your heart. For some of you, it is marriage, relationship, it is career, success, it is your morality, it is your athletic ability it's your looks it's who approves of you it's and unless the spirit of God convicts you from deep within for you to know that you child of God in Christ Jesus already belong already belong will you be able to overcome the desires of the flesh so here's what I want you to do I want you to say it out loud I want you to say it out loud and saying, God, this, whatever it is, name it, name it. Say, God, this is not what will make me happy. This is not what will give me meaning. This is not what will make me significant. This is not what will ultimately give me what I need. I have it in Christ. You need to do that. Name it, name it right now. You don't have to say it so loud if you want. Name it. Call it out what it is right now. Thank God, this, whatever that thing is, this is not, God, what will give me what I need. This is not will make my life significant. This is not will what make Say it. Say it out. Pray it out. I'll give you an opportunity to do that right now before you leave. Go ahead. Do that. Do that. Whisper it under your voice and say, God, this, this is not what will give me meaning in life. This is not what will make my life significant. This is not what will. It's the knowledge that I belong. It's the knowledge that I belong. It's the knowledge that I belong. It's the knowledge that I belong.